My guest on Create Collaborate today is Alexandria Thibodeau. She's an interpersonal communications and relationship strategist. Through her company, she helps people create and maintain healthy relationships in their personal and professional lives. Listen, you might relate with this. I told my whole family I was a writer like the first time I ever wrote a short story because I thought by embracing my, quote, identity, unquote, I was naming it and claiming it, and it was guaranteed to happen. The only thing that did happen was I got a lot of flack from people about, hey, when's your New York Times bestseller going to be coming out? So Alexandria and I dive into how you build a mindset to protect yourself against mm, naysayers, people who don't believe you. And I hope that you find as much benefit out of this conversation as I did. Before we get there, I want to remind you as always, it's pointless to rate and review my show. Don't even waste your time. But if you do love what we're doing here and you're finding value, I encourage you, please hit the follow button on whatever podcast app you're using. That way you know whenever a show comes out. I always give you my Core Wednesday show, but from time to time, I'll give you a Monday show, actually quite a bit lately, or a Thursday or Friday show. I'm not feeling too good about Tuesdays right now. And Share this with a friend, a writer friend, somebody who's on the cusp of publishing their first novel and wants to know how they can turn their passion for writing into a living because it's possible. And that's what I'm telling you how to do here on Create Collaborate. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Alexandria Thibodeau. Welcome to Create Collaborate the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name is Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published, and how you can do it too. so much for offering me the opportunity to speak with you and your community. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about this and to talk to you. Uh, so yes, my name is Alexandria Thibodeau. Um, I call myself a highly sensitive radical and I am an interpersonal communication and relationship strategist. And so essentially what that means is I teach people how to use sensitivity to radically advocate for themselves and for others as well. And I will note too, because um, I think that it's important. And I talk to my audience about having a niche. Your audience mostly is going to be uh, other black women. So talk to me a little bit about where that passion came from for you and how you've been building that community and, and who specifically you're speaking to. Thank you for that thoughtful question. So I am a black woman. I am 31 years of age and everybody brace yourselves. I didn't learn that I'm black until I was 26. And I didn't actually receive affirmation of this truth until I was 29, which was two years ago. Um, and essentially I was raised by my biological black parents and my older sister, who's also biological, who's nearly 20 years older than me to believe that we are white when in fact we're black, always have been, all of our family's black. My parents are from Southern Louisiana. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> so of course, my last name was Thibodeau, I'm a Creole. And um, it was essentially rooted in unresolved trauma that both my parents had not resolved from their hatred, essentially, of being Black. 
And so they raised me to demonize Black people, which included demonizing myself. Um, and I have come out of that. I call it my identity rebirth and my cultural renaissance now that I know my gorgeous truth of being a Black woman, a Black human. And because I went through that radical experience of learning this incredibly significant core truth about who I am and my identity, that's why I very much want to cater to and support and propel other Black women forward because statistically we receive the least amount of support socially, economically, politically, and if I can support and propel us forward in any way, I'm going to do that. That's going to be a core and critical part of my mission. And in, uh, in regards to who specifically I'm speaking to even more, generally HSPs or highly sensitive persons. Um, a lot of people are not familiar with this term. Some people have heard of it, some have never heard of it, some think they might know. They're like, oh, I think I may have heard of that. So let me give a breakdown. So HSPs are people who have a genetic, a physiological, this is important. Physiological is not a mental. It's a physiological genetic trait called sensory processing sensitivity. And essentially what that means is that we are born with an innately an acutely wired nervous system. So our nervous system is more sensitively wired than the average person. And that means that we are picking up subtleties in our environments. We're seeing things others don't see. We're hearing things others don't hear. We're deeply empathic. We are essentially paying attention very deeply and we are experiencing and processing the world in high def. And I specifically want to serve and propel those individuals forward because like black women, uh, the world does not cater to HSPs. The world caters to those who are competitive and aggressive and those who are not mindful because we live in an aggressive society, at least here in America. And so, you know, that is not what is prized. It's not prized or seen as profitable or valuable to be sensitive. And really HSPs, one in five people are HSPs. And so we are an extraordinary gift to the world. And I want to champion us to use that, sensi that, sensitivity, that sensitivity and those gifts to advocate for ourselves and to also advocate for others too. It's not just about us. We have unique gifts and skills that are meant to be used to help us and are meant to be used to help others too. I love the way that you frame that up. And um, I, I mean, I've never been tested, but everything you're saying feels very much like I'm going to be one of those one in five people. Um, yeah. Even earlier this morning, my wife and I got just a couple of minutes uh, to to spend with each other between some interviews. And mm -hmm. I, I looked at her and I said, I don't know what's going on with me right now because it does kind of ebb and flow a little bit. But I looked at her and it's like, I just can't feel that you love me right now. I feel that you hate me. And it's mm -hmm. this like, yeah, it's it's I think that there's just a level of sensitivity and it's actually probably me reflecting off of her and and the the speed that I'm moving at and maybe some of the choices I'm making to try to handle the busy schedule and that personal sense of dissatisfaction with how I'm dealing with life then I just push on her and suddenly I'm pretty sure she hates me cuz I don't really like what's going on for me. Yeah. Is that a piece do you notice that in yourself or other people that you talk with? For sure. That's very real. So the Achilles heel of every HSP is overstimulation. We are constantly trying to prevent and combat combat overstimulation and we get overstimulated by anything and everything. You know, uh, the drip of a drop of a faucet may not really bother someone. Someone might be able to tune that out. 
an HSP, it's going to drive us nuts because we are paying incredible attention um, and, and we're not necessarily doing it willingly. That's just how we're wired. And so we can become agitated or stressed or overwhelmed by things that other people might consider to be trivial, but to us, they're affecting us not only emotionally, they're affecting us physically. You know, if we're overstimulated physically, like it feels like there's buzzing going on. It might feel like your insides are on fire. You might feel jittery. You might feel like short of breath. And that is because you are overstimulated. And it makes sense that someone who is highly sensitive, someone who is taking in more of their environment, processing their environment longer and deeper than the average person, it makes sense that that's going to affect our emotions. That's going to affect how we process things emotionally. It's going to affect our temperament. It's going to affect our mood. It's going to affect our reactions. And so what you're describing is very real. It sounds like that was a moment of overstimulation, which every human gets overstimulated, not just HSPs. It's just that we get overstimulated easier and quicker. So it's important to always prioritize advocating for ourselves so that we can maintain that necessary self-regulation so we can protect our peace and so we can thrive and go about our business and, and prosper. So before we jump into all the good stuff, because that's the good stuff, that's the relief from being this kind of person, um, because I think that there are some real gifts that come with it as well. You talked about that that highly sensitive. I do believe that in the same way that it it's a, a burden at times, I'm able to pick up on things that other people don't. And so I can fairly quickly dial into problems that are that are cropping up and kind of head those off before they become really big issues. Uh, I, I've seen it in a lot of my life that I can do that. Talk to me about who you were before you learned what you're practicing and helping other people to practice and the change that you've seen in your life. So talk first about, about I think, the hard times before you discovered stuff and then, and then walk us to the, the change moment. Sure. Thank you for asking. So I've always known that I'm a very sensitive person. That's never been new to me. I've always been highly expressive, uh, felt things very deeply, have uh, long lasting effects on everything that I'm feeling and experiencing. And it wasn't until I believe I was 27, I learned of the highly sensitive person trait. And it, I learned about it at a really pivotal time. So essentially I had been part of the rat race, like most everybody has at some point or is now. And I had been working at this hellacious corporate career in St. Louis and, um, you know, doing everything I was quote unquote supposed to do, doing everything right on paper. So, you know, I first started as a customer service rep in a call center, which essentially is a sweatshop. And I got a promotion to that. And then I became a technical analyst, was essentially a glorified customer service rep with a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more pay. And then eventually I climbed the ladder even more and I was no longer customer facing. I got out of that department and I moved into the business department to become, um, what was my title? Oh my God. It was like a business operations analyst junior or something. I don't even remember because I didn't care, but I was like, okay, this is awesome. I'm no longer customer facing. Um, I'm climbing the ladder. Hopefully I'll experience more peace in this role. I'm pretty sure I won't, but I'll lie to myself. And um, it was blissful for maybe the first two days. <laughs> and I quickly was like, oh my God, this is also horrible. Oh my goodness. I can't do this. And after three years of wanting to quit, I eventually did. I had hit my breaking point. Um, my mental health and physical health were suffering. I eventually hit my breaking point. And by the, when I quit, my husband said, oh my God, I got a job offer in Denver. Do you want to move? And I'm like, yes, that sounds amazing. 
So we move to Denver. Okay. I made a promise to myself. I said, I am never working a traditional job ever again, because it doesn't work for me. I've hated every job I've ever had, whether it was like in professional corporate where I had a 401k in an office or working in retail or uh, whatever. Like I've had a number of different jobs in different fields, different industries, and all of them were horrible. Even ones uh, where the jobs were related to values that are important to me. I just, I, it, it, the work didn't align, the environment didn't align. The whole thing didn't align. It made me sick. And so when we get to Denver, uh, financial panic ensues. And I'm like, oh my God, the sticker shock here is real. Uh, We need money to pay bills. Like, I I guess I just have to get a job. I don't know what else to do. I'm panicking. So I got a job at a uh, staffing agency. I cried on the way home from the interview because I didn't want the job. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. And I lasted two weeks, had a breakdown, and I quit. And I'm on the phone with my friend and I said, what's wrong with me? I'm crazy. Like, what is wrong with me? No one likes their job. Everyone just finds a way to deal with it. Everyone finds a way to push through and manage. But I literally cannot do that. My physical and psych, my physical body, my psyche will not allow that. I feel like I'm insane. And she said, you're not crazy. You're just highly sensitive. Now, when she said that, it really resonated. I was like, yeah, I'm sensitive. I know that, but highly sensitive sounds like a thing. So I consulted the Oracle that is Google and learned that, oh my God, this is a thing. This is actually a physiological genetic trait that affects 15 to 20% of humans and non-human animals. This is actually an advantage. This is actually extraordinary. This actually provides me an abundant amount of superpowers. Oh my God. So once I learned that, I decided, okay, I've got the affirmation and validation of who I am and why I am the way I am. I have this newfound knowledge and I was emboldened to champion other HSPs as well, because most people who are highly sensitive don't even know that they are. And so ever since doing that, I decided, yep, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I am not going to break the promise this time because I know traditional work is not going to serve me. It is not in alignment with my temperament. It's not in alignment with my values. It's not in alignment with my identity or my integrity. And so I have stuck to that for the past, it'll be four years now in entrepreneurship. And that has brought me a lot of peace. It has preserved my integrity and it has allowed me to live authentically. And it is challenging. Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. Um, But HSPs actually make great entrepreneurs because we are able to function in our most authentic state because we have full autonomy over what we are doing and how we are contributing to the world, which is essential for us HSPs. We can't just have a standard job. We're extremely motivated by purpose and we're purpose-driven. And so, you know, I can't just sit at a desk doing work that doesn't really matter. I have to make an impact in the world. I have to propel others forward in an intimate way um, in, in in a radical way. There's a part in my brain that's like, this is all a bunch of woo woo. These people don't exist. And this is just a way to make an excuse for the fact that I can't stand clocking in to a company to work for somebody else. The reality is everything that you just said is everything that I experienced for my entire life. I hated every job I ever had. And anybody who knows me for any length of time knows that it was like 
agony for me. I would get to places where even jobs that that worked, I got to travel a ton. Like I was telling you before we started recording, I, I traveled a ton for my job. I had so much freedom. I was basically my own boss, except somebody else told me what objectives had to happen. And even that was too much for me. I was like, I need to, to create the agenda. And so the reason why my brain is still in this place of saying this whole sensitive person thing is woo woo. I don't want to give myself permission to believe that there's a reason that I am the way that I am. I want to believe that I'm making excuses instead of leaning into my strengths. And because honestly, I don't know if you went through this or not, but I would say the majority of my family looks at what I'm doing right now. And they're like, you're crazy. Oh, of course they do. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing that. That's irresponsible. And who, who are you to think that you can be a full-time writer or a, you know, for you a full-time, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly the term, but that you can do your business full-term. I'm a a communication strategist. Communication (laughs) strategist. Yeah. You know, so I, I really feel like I, I embrace this fully and I want people listening to know that people like us exist and that there's a lot to it. This is wonderful. First, I want to say I absolutely love and resonate with the fact that you said this sounds woo-woo because actually I can't stand woo-woo stuff. That stuff doesn't <laughs> align with me. Like, yeah. don't talk to me about chakras and energies and the law of attraction and crystals. I don't want to hear any, anything about that. Like, I'm not a woo-woo person. I pledge allegiance to science. So I actually love that you were vulnerable and said that, which is why I actually don't really resonate with the term empath. Um, HSP is a clinical term. It describes sensory processing sensitivity. It describes a psychological temperament. Empath is an adjective. It's a describer to, you know, describe a a trait, describe a characteristic. Um, So I I personally don't like to be like, oh, I'm an empath and, you know, us empaths. I mean, that's fine, but it just kind of woo-woos and magicalizes the word. It's just like, let's, let's just call it what it is, HSP. All HSPs, are what people would consider empaths because we are naturally deeply empathic. There's a part of the brain, I believe it's called the motor neuron area. And that's the part of the brain associated with understanding people's intentions and behaviors. And that part is more active in the HSP brain. And that's the part associated with empathy. So if you identify as an empath, you're definitely an HSP. Um, I love, you're, you're a very vulnerable person. I very much appreciate that. Being vulnerable is what I would consider a superpower of HSPs. We are more willing to be vulnerable. Um, so I thank you for that. And what I wanted to speak to, you're like, I don't want to give myself permission to acknowledge that this is the reason I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. God, that's so real. And so many of us feel that about so many different aspects of ourselves and our realities and Thank you for saying that. I don't think we talk about that enough. Um, And I also really appreciate that you want to give yourself permission to acknowledge and respect and champion this superpower part of you. I love being an HSP. Truly, it it gives me tremendous advantages. It gives every HSP advantages. Dr. Elaine Aaron, she's the psychologist who discovered and coined the term HSP in 1991. Incidentally, it's when I was born. So I like to think it's a joke, but I like to think that her intuition was so on point that she knew I was coming to the world and she just knew I would need an explanation. But obviously like, yeah. So um, she describes HSPs as the royal advisors to the warrior kings in aggressive societies. The majority of our societies on this planet, I would say, are pretty aggressive, at least definitely in the Western part of the world, aggressive societies. And an aggressive society is not going to thrive unless it has sensitive people to temper their aggressiveness. 
That's why there's always an advisor to say, hey, let's go over this again. Are we sure we want to do this? Is this in everyone's best interest? What's going to happen after this? How, how will this make people feel? Does this address the right issue? All of that. And that's us. That's we, we innately take on those roles because it's who we are. It's how we're wired. We are wired to empathize deeply. We are wired to pay attention deeply. And we're also wired to take action. It's really hard for us HSPs to see some bullshit in the world and not do anything about it. We have really high bullshit meters, which is an extraordinary gift. And it allows us to use our sensitivity to radically advocate for ourselves. It allows us to say things that others aren't gonna say and take actions in ways that others aren't because they're not gonna care about the thing we care about because we see it and they don't. I do want to ask you a question there. It's a really practical question for anybody in our position. You are able to sense sometimes feelings. And this I'll go back to this morning where I realized I'm the one emoting onto my wife and then kind of getting that reflection back. But there are times where I will, I will hound her. Like you're feeling something right now. What are you feeling? What's going on for you? Because I know right now I'm emotionally centered and I'm feeling you right now. And, and she'll be like, I'm tired. I'm tired. She doesn't even know that she's feeling something. Are there ways that you're able to take advantage of, of your ability to, to feel and to uh, empathically connect with people that, that you can help them through that? Is that, I mean, that's probably part of what you do, I would assume, but you're also really focused on people like me. So talk about that a little bit. That's a great question. Uh, So this is called co-regulation. This is something I actually learned in couples therapy a few years ago. So uh, there's self-regulation, which are ways that we can regulate ourselves during times of stress and overwhelm. And then when we are with a partner, someone else, and we have a, um, a mutually supportive, loving, caring relationship, we know the person, we respect them, we value them, we're able to co-regulate each other. So essentially it's, you know, when you're feeling down or when you're feeling upset or overstimulated, your wife regulates you and vice versa when she's feeling that way. And the key, or not even really the key, that sounds, ew, the an effective way, <laughs> the key, an effective way to co-regulate with someone if you're feeling stressed, because you still want the other person, you're not trying to regulate your wife if you're stressed, but you want her support in that moment. You want to connect with her emotionally so that you can regulate yourself. An effective way to do that is it's cliche, but don't worry, I'm going to get into better things. It's cliche, but first to take a breath and then to specifically spell it out. Like when people, people are just like, oh my God, just do I have to spell it out for you? Yes, you do. And so specifically stating, I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed because of X. I'm feeling irritated and I'm having a hard time calming myself down and I'm having a hard time not responding with anger. So just understand that. And you can even say it in, a, in that tone if it's going to allow you to get the words out. But a lot of us try to be, how do I want to say this? A lot of us try to be, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say politically correct when we are expressing our feelings of frustration and anger. And it's good. We want to be mindful. You know, we, we, we want to speak to people in ways in which they can hear us. We want to speak to people in ways that are empathic and in ways that, in ways that are kind, you want to communicate with grace and kindness, but people freak themselves out. They're like, well, it's impossible to do that without sounding rude. It's impossible to do that without hurting the other person. So I'm just, I'm just going to try to be politically correct in this moment. And then you don't actually end up communicating the truth of your reality. You end up communicating a lie because you've dumbed it down or you're still not 
asserting your full feelings. You're only asserting part of them. Uh, you're only making part of the declaration. So really spell it out. And that's hard for a lot of people to do because we're so often told to do the opposite. We're so often told, you know, uh, you're asking too many questions. You're talking too much. You're making a big deal out of this. You're overthinking. That's another one I hate. You're overthinking. Um, and it feels demeaning to our reality and our experience. And so essentially we're trained into dismissing our own feelings. And if we dismiss our own feelings, we're not able to communicate it to other people. So really spell it out, be radical. Even if it's something that is uh, most people would consider trivial. So like if you're feeling overwhelmed because you have a lot of meetings in one day or because you're stressed because of you know something that's coming up, just really say that. Just really say, I am stressed right now because I am annoyed right now because I love to do this with my husband. I'll say to him when I'm feeling frustrated, I'll say, John, I'm having a really hard time right now. And I, I, I'm really trying not to sound frustrated. I'm trying really hard not to sound angry. And I'm not mad at you. I'm not frustrated with you. I'm not upset with you, but like, I'm really pissed off right now. And like, just understand that. And if I'm snippy, I, I will apologize, call it out and say, hey, I don't like how you said that. And then I will say, shit, my bad. I'm still really pissed. <laughs> that way it's like, I'm not necessarily trying to turn off my emotions, but I'm still acknowledging that my expressions have impact. And I'm still acknowledging my own feelings and allowing myself to emote. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. And I think a lot of what you're saying is the way that you refer to it is, is this, it's kind of like a superpower we have that we're very attuned to the way that we're feeling in maybe ways that other people will let travel for a little bit longer before they're even aware they're pissed off. Um, yes. It doesn't necessarily mean we're less likely to be explosive. And I think that you would, you would assume like, Hey, if you're aware you're feeling angry, shouldn't you be able to mitigate that? But the problem is, is that knowing you're feeling away doesn't give you access to figuring out, is this something that I can process through right now? Is this something I can get rid of? And, and sometimes too, like you said, um, you even might know the reason for it, but you might not know the reason behind the reason. I know that sounds silly, but you know, I know, I know that I'm angry. I know that, that, that like my kids are bothering me, for example, and I know that what's bothering me is that they're acting silly in a moment where I think we should be more measured, but I don't get why silly in that moment bothers me. So there's actually a reason behind a reason. And that's just, that's human experience. That's, you can't, you can't be sensitive enough to understand that. So, you know, it bothers you, but it doesn't make you that kind of superhuman. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with that, but just kind oh. of reflecting on what you're saying, as yeah. far as the people that you work with. And so I want to tie this back to writers as well, because this is a show for writers, but there's a lot of us who right now are deeply connecting with what you're saying. And we're ready to figure out what's the, the first or the big step that I can take to change my relationship to my work from an emotional protective stance so that I can continue to be me and thrive and not be taken down when people tell me, Hey, you're uh Oh, by the way, my cat is highly sensitive. If you can oh my hear God, him. <laughs> you're a cat. Oh my word. Yeah. So, but anyways, what, what's that step that we can take um, as entrepreneurs in your case, or as writers and writers are entrepreneurs, we're just a specific kind mm -hmm. um, to protect ourselves as we move forward into a vulnerable place to share our work with the world. 
quick. Name five animals that you've never seen reading a book before. Nah, I'm just kidding. But honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a fox reading a book, but I have been to www.thejohnfox.com titled Book Fox. And if you haven't been there before, he's got all kinds of classes, courses, editing, and free blog posts galore. You want to check it out? I love it. I read it all the time. It's made me a better writer. It can make you a better writer, too. That's www.thejohnfox.com. All right. Everybody get ready for this. I'm going to give you a radical answer. So I'm going to tell you to ditch humility and ditch modesty. And I'm going to add to that ditch imposter syndrome. Those three things. We're going to ditch all three of them. Let me tell you why. I hate the word humility. We need to retire it from our vocabulary, from our diction. So to be humble means to have a low or modest view of your individual importance. Let me say it again. A low or modest view of your individual importance. I don't know about you, but that doesn't align with me at all. I absolutely know, understand, acknowledge, and respect that my individual importance is significant and great. Every human being on this planet's existence is significant. Every single one of us. And so it doesn't make any sense. And in addition to that, to have a modest view of your individual importance. The word modesty. So I am a woman. So naturally I despise that word. So modesty has been tamed in us women and really tamed into everyone's mind pretty much in in Western culture that women are expected to be modest and that modesty is the epitome of womanhood. And we should conduct ourselves with modesty. We should lead with modesty. We should shrink ourselves, diminish our voices, be successful, but not too successful. You know, advocate for yourself, but not too much and certainly not too loudly. And so modesty is not something, it is not a, an ideology. It is not a construct that I use to dictate how I conduct myself as a woman, communicate as a woman, um, write as a woman and move about the world as a woman. And I don't think that should apply to anybody, woman or not, I, ew. And the core foundation really of what I do is self-reverence, which is deep admiration and deep respect for the self. Reverence is something that's really common in the majority of our cultures. I like to give celebrity culture as an example. Many of us revere celebrities. We deeply admire, deeply respect them, but it's not just them. It's other people, our elders, family members, scholars, scientists, politicians, you know, our friends, whoever. But rarely do we actually revere, deeply admire, and deeply respect ourselves. And I say this is different from self-confidence. To be self-confident means to have a feeling of security in your skills and abilities, which is necessary. You should have that. But a feeling is different than actually taking that feeling and putting it into practice, which is why I say self-reverence is self-love in action. And so because each and every human being on this planet possesses skills and knowledge and gifts of unique and unparalleled worth and value, that alone warrants self-reverence. And in addition to that, this is, this might sound like it's going off the rails, but it's not, it's all tied because we're all human and we're all having a human experience. Um, In addition to that, each and every human on this planet has survived and will continue to survive trauma. That's a very significant part of the human experience that deserves to be recognized, understood, and respected. That again, warrants self-reference. And so when we nurture and maintain self-reference, then it is easy 
to revoke and reject humility and modesty and imposter syndrome. If you are self-reverent, there's no reason to have imposter syndrome. There's no reason for it. It's, it doesn't make sense because why in the world would you have a low or modest view of your individual importance? As writers, what we are contributing to the world undoubtedly pushes the collective forward because as, as Brene Brown says, we are a social species and we're neurobiologically hardwired for connection. And in the absence of that, there's always suffering. And writing is an incredibly effective and empathetic way to connect us. And that's what we are doing as writers. And so we cannot second guess ourselves or diminish our experiences, our reality, our thoughts, our values, our integrity. It's important to share that because that is literally how we create a ripple effect. That is how we push the collective forward. But get rid of all that. No, hum no humility, no modesty, no imposter syndrome. Every single human on this planet has unique experiences and experience equals knowledge. Experience equals influence. Experience equals authority. It doesn't mean that you're all-knowing. It doesn't mean that you're the number one influence in the world. And it doesn't mean that you're the sole authority either. The whole point is to keep learning and growing. But it also doesn't mean that you have to deny the truth about what you have. And also with humility, something else I don't like about it, it insinuates that other people have value that you don't. While other people do possess values, people provide different value to the world. We all provide value and it's unique value. We're all necessary. And so to say, oh, well, you know, I should be humble in the presence of this person, you know, this esteemed, highly revered individual, whether they're like an actor or a writer or whoever, there is no reason to think less of yourself in the presence of that person's existence and their accomplishments like like Oprah you know like she is extremely revered and should be she has accomplished a tremendous amount she has propelled I don't even know how many human beings forward and transform lives but if I were to sit down with Oprah I wouldn't think to myself oh my god like I have to act this way in front of Oprah because she's Oprah it's like yeah, so we're, we're both humans, are we not? Like, why do I need to like bow down to you? I don't. I can confidently say, <laughs> I can confidently say that if I met Oprah, I would be so terrified just because of like what she's accomplished that I would be like, like buzzing and giddy. And I would say a lot of stupid stuff um, <laughs> as, as is true for, for many of my favorite authors. If I got to meet them in person, um, yeah. it, it, I would just be an idiot because <laughs> I do have reverence. I have reverence for them and what they've done. I love what you are saying. And um, there's a, another kind of a niche that is listening to this podcast who grew up in church. And we learned a different kind of humility that crushed us. That's part of my own personal story as well. I've hated the word humility for a long time. I've been a closet hater of it because I don't want to isolate the people in my life who, who feel like humility is an asset of some sort. And mm -hmm. I also, I want to add to what you're saying for people who are just a step past that and understand there's something fishy going on with, with humility. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we boast. It doesn't mean that we brag. It means right. that we come into the room, understanding that we have talents and gifts to offer and we behave out of those things. Honestly, it, yeah. I mean, you're, you're an inflated, arrogant person. If you overestimate your ability, just as much as you are a shackled and imprisoned person, if you behave humbly. Tell everybody where they can find you. Fabulous. Thank you. So you can find me at alexandriatibido.com. That is my website. And I look through all of it, but I encourage you to go to my blog and read my writing. 
And you can also find me on Twitter at Alexandria Tib, which is T-H-I-B at the end. Um, and I have a set of classes that I am launching on June 15th. It is called the Highly Sensitive Radical. And they are a set of classes that will teach you how to use sensitivity to radically advocate for yourself and for others. And so you can pre-order that now. It is launching June 15th. And yeah, that is all the places you can find me. Perfect. It was a pleasure to talk. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. Oh,